Hi, this is Hanson here from Archippus Awakening, a ministry that's dedicated to the awakening of saints that we may know and fulfill our God-given kingdom assignments. And this is where Kingdom 101 comes in. We want to have good, strong kingdom foundation for our kingdom assignments. Well, I started with a question. Have you ever been affected or offended by a fellow Christian, a brother or sister in the church? I believe you can identify with this, right? In the church, it might have been a leader who said something, let you down, or a minister that you looked up to and then you got this illusion by him or by her. Perhaps in the cell group, things are said, things were not said, I don't know. Or in the ministry while serving, or it's just some church member that you just can't get along with. Or maybe in the workplace, your boss who is a Christian, you call yourself a Christian, or a colleague. Or as you're dealing with businesses, seemingly Christian. Or maybe you are in school, a friend who's from a church and trying to minister to you, witness to you. But the way that he acts, or a teacher, or in fact, what if it's a Christian school, but not really living out those Christian values? Well, let's bring it closer to home, perhaps in the family. How about your spouse? I mean, you attend church together. Or perhaps your spouse is the Christian, but you are not the Christian. And you're listening to this and you say, I can really identify with what you're saying. I agree with you. Perhaps your parents even, right? I mean, they can talk about Bible verses, preach a sermon even. But how do they live as Christians? Did they affect you? Did they offend you? Did they stumble you? Or a sibling, a relative, a friend. I can go on and on and on. Has there ever been a Christian who has affected you or offended you? Well, let's turn the question around a little bit. Have you ever affected someone else? Have you ever offended someone else and caused them to feel the same way as you do about some other Christians? Well, that's what we're going to be exploring in this teaching. Let's see what Jesus says. Our passage is taken from Matthew chapter 18, verses 6 to 9. And let me warn you, it's not going to be an easy passage for us to go through. So hang in there. Just stay with me, will you? Let's read. Whoever causes one of these little ones to believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses, for offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the offense comes. If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life lame or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into the everlasting fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire. Well, I did warn you, it's not an easy passage. And so pray with me. We need the Holy Spirit to teach us. Lord, be with me, Lord. Be with my brothers and sisters listening or anyone just listening to this teaching. Will you teach us what Jesus really wants us to know so that we can represent him well and live for his glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, before we get into the subject matter, let's review a little bit. Remember that in the book of Matthew, there are five kingdom discourses. Now, we have just reached Matthew chapter 18, which is the fourth kingdom discourse. 
It is about the kingdom community, the ecclesia, the church. That's you and that's me. And you know, when we come together, there will be relationships and that's where all the challenges begin. In our last teaching, I kid you not, Jesus was trying to tell us or is trying to remind us that the place of humility remains relevant. We still need humility. We have to be humble to come into the kingdom with repentance, to get regenerated. But in the kingdom, entering in is only one thing. We need to also excel in the kingdom and we must remain like little children. I kid you not. But to excel, we, have, we must embrace others in the kingdom. And that means as we accept them, we accept the Christ. If we receive these in the same spirit as Jesus the King, we receive the Christ. Well, that's only the first part. Now, what goes on after that? In verses 6 to 9, we just read, suddenly there's this very heavy passage. That's because it is about righteousness and restraining from sin. I told you in the beginning, this teaching is about sin, offenses, stumbling blocks, scandals. Oops, <laughs> right? We can trip someone up or we get tripped up and we fall head face down and we get upset, we get hurt. But what if we do it to others and we don't even realize it? I know you're going to say like, yeah, oops, you know, forgive me. I wasn't really aware of that. See, when we speak about embracing others, we really have to learn not to stumble others. We want to receive others and in that we receive the Christ. For us to do that, we must look out for one another and to look out for one another. Let's be careful that we do not put things in front of others that causes them to fall down or trip or fall. But let's dive in because this passage is so rich. It is really serious. It's heavy stuff, I tell you. The Lord does not mince his words. But let's hear what he wants to say for us. And as a people in the kingdom community, how do we deal with relationships? What's the place of humility still? And how do we help one another? Let's begin by asking a question. What is this passage about? I've already given you the hint. It's about scandals and offenses. But what do these terms actually mean? If you look into the original text, there's one word that's mentioned six times in its various forms. That word is scandalon, where we get the English word scandal. In some versions, it's translated as offense, and three times in this passage we see that. Or in a phrase, cause to sin or cause to stumble. And we see that again in another three occasions. So in total, six mentions in this short passage. In the English Standard Version, another word is used, temptations or tempted to sin or giving temptations for others to sin. Let's break this down a little bit more. See, because when we use the word scandal, it means a few things and very different in our day and age. In dictionary.com, it's defined as the scandal is something that is considered shocking or disgraceful. Now, when I say that, I know pictures will go through your mind and you can think of many examples that we see now in our present-day context. But why is it shocking or why is it disgraceful? Let's look at the definition from the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. A scandal is a circumstance or an action that offends proprietary or established moral conceptions or disgraces those associated with it. 
there you go. We have got a longer and a more uh, elaborate definition here. So a scandal is something that offends, not so much the people first, but it offends a moral code, or it offends or violates a standard uh, that has been established. But the question is, what is this moral code? Where do we get this moral reference? Who gets to define this? And you will see that we will address this later, but let's hold this thought in your mind first. Now, scandal can also refer to a person whose conduct, remember the circumstance or the action, a person whose conduct offends propriety or morality. And most of the time, discredit is brought upon religion by this unseemingly conduct in a religious person. Now, note again, the connection between this scandal or this offense, the connection with religion, or in our case, with Christians or the church. Uh, this conduct can cause or encourage a lapse of faith or of religious obedience in another person. Now, can you see now how it's linked back then to offenses or causing someone else to sin in that we encourage or discourage a certain action or a lack of a scandal and offense affects someone else. Now, the word scandalon, literally, it refers to a trap or a stumbling block, like it's to trip someone up. Oops, you know, you, you fall down, you don't see that uh, coming, or it's, it's somewhere there, it's so small, you miss it, and you fall down. Or there's a trap that's there, once you step on it, it springs the trap, and it holds you back, or it, it sort of locks you in. This device that trips or traps, that causes falling or failing, it's a scandal on. Now, in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 14, we get an idea of what the Lord is saying when he says, don't trip someone up. You shall not curse the deaf, nor put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God, I am the Lord. What an interesting verse, right? God is saying, fear him, worship him, obey him. But in doing that, to do that well, don't cause someone else to fall down. Don't treat others in a way that would give them a, an issue or trouble. Don't look down on them. Instead, look out for them. When we look at the deaf as well as the blind, we are, these are unsuspecting. They are vulnerable, right? There's a little handicap that is there. Now, if you don't look out for them, but instead cause them harm, then that is not worshipping the Lord. That is not fearing the Lord. Now, throughout the Old Testament, this stumbling is then extended to being idolatrous or sinning against the Lord, to fall in the way of righteousness or, in our sense, to sin against the Lord. Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 3 says, Son of man, these men have set up idols in their hearts and put before them that which causes them to stumble into iniquity. Shall I let myself, this is what God says, be inquired of at all by them? So in Ezekiel, as well as the rest of the other prophets, the stumbling block or to stumble someone is to lead them in the way of sin or to cause them to commit sin against the Lord. 
And in the case of Israel, this was the common practice. We have to ask ourselves, is this happening in the church today? Are we doing exactly the same as the people of God, the Israelites, as we are today, people of God, of Jesus Christ, the kingdom community? Are we stumbling one another and helping one another sin without even realizing this? So this is what the passage is all about. Who is this passage for? I think by now, there's no second-guessing this, right? It is about the church, the kingdom community. In verse 6 of Matthew chapter 18, Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin. Remember this phrase? Little ones. Now these are the children of God. These are brothers and sisters. Ones who would be humble, innocent, and vulnerable, needy, reliant on the Lord as well as one another. These are the ones who believe in Jesus, the King. So very clear, the Lord continues this picture referring to the people of the kingdom. It is the kingdom community. Now, if you remember what I shared earlier in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 14, the unsuspecting, the vulnerable ones. Well, first we look out for one another, but all the more, especially, we have to look out for those who are younger and weaker in the faith because all of us would be at a different point of our spiritual walk and our journey. But firstly, look at this point. The kingdom, and you have to be so convinced about this, the kingdom is about righteousness. And the king wants to protect his kingdom community from unrighteousness. It's plain as day. And so if you are guilty of causing someone else to sin, if you cause any one of these little ones to stumble or to fall, if you become that stumbling stone or that stumbling block, the Lord is so serious. He says, it's, it's better if you are just, you know, I'll, I'll just put a millstone around you and you just get cast into the sea and you just drown, right? So if you're guilty of being that stumbling stone, that small little stone, you get this millstone, this large millstone. In the days of Israel, there are two types of millstones. There's a smaller one where the women in their cooking, you know, they can grind, they, they grind the grains and they put it into a powder form and they can do it by hand. But the Lord was not referring to the smaller one. He was referring to the big one, the large ones, that were pulled by the animals. That's big. That's heavy. <laughs> it's heavy stuff. Well, because it's serious stuff. And it's better if you, he said that it is better if this is tied around your neck and we are just, you're just cast into the depth of sea, i.e. death by drowning. Well, this is heavy stuff, literally. But understand that the Lord was using, again, a rabbinic device, his hyperbole. He's exaggerating, he's pushing way, way to the extreme and to the limit. It's not meant for you to take this literally, but because it's so extreme and so serious and such a drama illustration, don't miss the point. What the Lord is saying is, I value righteousness. Now, if you bring unrighteousness in and you cause someone else to walk in the ways of unrighteousness, you deserve to be just thrown over with this millstone and be drowned in the sea. And in fact, this punishment is an act of mercy compared to the judgment that will come at you and for you, that awaits you when I return. 
So in other words, don't, don't play around. This is heavy stuff. <laughs> the millstone, yeah. But responsibility is a heavy responsibility that all of us in the body of Christ, we share and we must carry this load together. It's serious business. Jesus is serious about righteousness in the kingdom community. He's serious about sin in the kingdom community. And not just our little struggles with sin or our greater struggles with sin, but if we are to live with no regard to him and we cause others to um, to a point of walking away from him to live as if um, it does not matter, there are eternal consequences. This is not what I'm saying. These are the words of Scripture. To receive Jesus, right? to receive Christ, is to receive his way of righteousness. And so if we reject righteousness and we cause others to do the same, we walk away from him and we reject him. Hence the, the seriousness of the tone of this passage. You get drowned in the depth of the sea, that's in verse 6. If we go on, he talks about the everlasting fire, verse 8. Uh, hellfire, verse 9. Serious, serious stuff, heavy stuff, heavy stuff, because the Lord is very serious about this. Well, let's go on. Let's ask ourselves, what are the sources? Where do we find these stumbling stones and blocks and things? Where are the trips and the traps, right? Because if we know where these are, we would be more aware and we can look out for these and help one another, first ourselves and then the others. Matthew chapter 18, verse 7 says, Woe to the world because of offenses. There's that word, scandala, the plural of scandalon. For offenses must come. But woe to that man by whom the offense comes. So from this one verse, the Lord makes it so clear. The first source is the world. Woe to the world because of all these offenses. And we are told not to love the things of this world. Don't love the world because that's where the stumbling will come. Great source, huge source. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17, the apostle warns the church, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, and here the stuff, the lust of flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, it's not in, of the Father, but it's of the world. Now the world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. I know this is not a surprise, and yet, Many of us are stumbled, right? We are caused to look to the things of the world. We crave the things of the world. We lust after it. Really, even the people in the church, brothers and sisters, as greed, look at the materialism, consumerism. Sex, lust, the adultery that happens, a promiscuous lifestyle, pornography that is so readily available, sexual orientations and degenerations and confusion that is happening today. Power struggles, control, manipulation, power abuse, this whole cry for personal rights and freedom that's going in such a bad way and a wrong way today. All these are examples of the stumbling blocks that causes us, entices us, tempts us to walk away from the things of God and the ways of the kingdom. We don't have to think very hard. There are many examples of politicians, 
business leaders, prominent names involved in many of these scandals, right? We call them um, sex scandals, money scandals, power scandals, usually revolving around these three things. But I would like you to remember and note that scandals are not just the big names and for the big news items. Woe to the man by whom the offence comes, right? Now, these are people who are prominent and they are in the limelight. Yes, they hold a greater responsibility. But anyone can influence another person to live wrongly. Hence the Apostle Paul's warning to all of us, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind. So one huge source of offenses, scandals, of stumbling, of trips and of traps, the world, you don't have to look too far, just look around you, look at everything. The world has crept into our homes and into our lives with the computer, with our smartphones, our devices. We are so connected these days that um, the stumbling blocks are all over the place. If we are not careful, we will trip and we will be trapped. Oops. The second source is the church. Now, again, I don't think this is a statement of surprise. The world has already crept into the church. And so if the world is a source of stumbling, and if we have allowed many things and the ideas of this world to creep into the church, it is a source, a huge, a huge source of stumbling, right? There's so many little stones that's happening already in the church. How do we handle this? Just think a little bit. What The list that I just read to you that exists in the world it happens also in the church. Greed, materialism, uh, sexual things, lust, promiscuity, things that we allow and permit. In fact, our tendency is to justify and to rationalize these days, right? I just think about the prosperity gospel. Everybody, everybody loves it because everyone wants to be rich. Why? Because we are materialistic. Uh, we are a consumer uh, culture these days. And in the church, we expect to be served, to be put on a pedestal. And it runs counter to the ways of the kingdom. We are being trapped with these thoughts and we are trapping big time. Not just ourselves, but we are tripping others also when we tell them it's okay, you know, God understands and uh, God allows all these things because He wants us to, health, to be healthy, wealthy and wise. Uh, he wants us to be rich, He wants us to be happy, He wants to cater to you and pander to you. It's all about you. Can you hear the world speaking? Can you hear this guy crying out for things that runs against the things of the kingdom? And I convince myself, and not only that, I convince others also. Just think about the scandals that have happened in the body of Christ through the ages. I don't have to name names, right? You just Google these church scandals for a list and you will see so many just pop up immediately. Involving prominent ministers, involved in sex scandals as well as money scandals. Uh, many cases of power abuse, power control. Uh, you cannot touch the Lord's anointed. Uh, they control the people, they manipulate um, the members. Uh, scandals involving megachurch pastors being caught in adulterous affairs. 
More recently, many high-profile worship leaders and pastors divorcing and remarrying almost immediately and coming back into ministry as if nothing has happened, that everyone needs to accept them uh, just like that. There's also a present trend of deconstruction of faith, uh, where established ministers, where they used to boldly discuss the gospel, preach it, and encourage so many other people. Now they are bold in another way. They announce their decision to walk away from Jesus. These are the scandals. These are the offenses. And we look at them and we're like, oh, you know, this is not good. It's terrible. But we don't think very much of it after that. Now, these are what are reported. What about those that go unreported in the body of Christ? Those who are, those that are committed by um, the saints, the, the people in the congregations. Do you realize it's happening and more and more? And we just accept that it's, it's normal, so we don't even blink an eyelid nowadays. In fact, we are no longer even surprised. We are, we're not really offended. We just, ah yeah, like that one. It happens. The scandal is no more a scandal. We are no longer offended by these things. The moral code that has been violated, God that has been offended, the law that has been broken, righteousness that has been just thrown out the church windows, nobody bats an eyelid today. Remember the definition of a scandal or an offense earlier? The scandal is when a moral code, a moral norm has been violated or offended. But we have to ask this question. Who gets to define morality? What's our reference point? And if there's no reference point, how then do we align? If the church becomes more and more like the world, we will be less and less offended by the scandals. Oops! Can you see what's happening? Within the church now, what about false apostles, false prophets, and false teachers? These are a lot harder to spot and discern because they seem to be preaching the truth using Scripture. And yet the same Scriptures warn that these will face destruction, that they are wrong. They are the ones who are scandalous. They are the ones who will offend. They will cause others to sin and compromise and even walk away from the Lord. The Scripture says clearly that these false apostles and prophets and teachers will face destruction. Now remember the millstone, remember the everlasting fire and the eternal hell? These will face destruction as well as those who follow these wrong and false teachings. And so you've got to be careful, my friends. Woe to the men by whom the offense comes. Don't just look at the teachers. Don't just blame others that have affected you and offended you. I think this lesson we have to ask ourselves have I affected others? Have I offended others? Have I caused another person to lose his or her faith or be disillusioned about Jesus Christ? We have to heed the words and warnings of Jesus. We have to look out for one another. Look out for the stumbling stones. Look out for the traps and the trips. Try to do our very best to remove these, not just for ourselves, but for one another. We cannot, after this passage, we cannot claim ignorance. Oh, I didn't know. Oops, you know, I'm sorry. Oops. We can't do this. The word is so clear. 
friends, there's a serious situation and a serious situation seeks serious solutions. Our Lord is so serious in the way He was teaching about righteousness in the kingdom relationships. And in Matthew chapter 18, verses 8 and 9, If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life lame or maimed rather than having two hands or feet to be cast into the everlasting fire. I know this is so serious. Many of us don't like to read this anymore. Everlasting fire, no, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. You've got to hear the words of the Lord. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out, cast it out from you. It is better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire. I know it sounds serious because it is. Jesus gives us no opportunity to act blur. Oops, I didn't know. I'm sorry. Um, God, you understand. Lah. You know, I'm not perfect. I'm only human. No, 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 no. The Lord is so serious and He stretches once more, pushes it to the extreme using hyperbole rabbinic device. He wants to get our attention. This is not literal. Don't go out cutting off your hand and chopping off your foot or you know, or lobbing off your, your one limb here and there or pulling out your eye or your ear. Don't miss the point. It's not literal. It is important because the Lord says, I want you to hear and I want you to respond correctly. If we look at it from a general perspective, the warning here is be careful of all kinds of sins. Your eye, your hand, your foot. What are you looking at? What are you reading? Right? What are you watching? What are you exposing your eye to? Because the lust of the eye, the pride of life, that's what it is. Your hands, what, what are you doing? What are you doing? Your, your feet, where are you going? Generally, all kinds of sin. If you're not walking correctly, if you're not doing the right thing, if you're not watching correctly, listening correctly, moving correctly, the Lord is saying, all these will cause you to stumble and you will cause someone else to stumble in the same way. But let's look deeper. Did Jesus intend a more specific and a more precise application? Because when we look at this phrase of the eye, the foot, as well as the hand, it sounds really familiar. The Lord has used this illustration before, and we find it in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 to 30. And there was this teaching specifically about adultery, that he was getting to the heart of the matter that was the lust. He was talking about lust and sexual sins. Could the Lord be pointing this out for the church in the kingdom community today? And it still remains relevant. Yes, it's applicable generally to the way we live, the way we speak, the things that we do and wherever we go. But specifically, could the Lord be warning us once more? And in our day today, man, this issue remains so, so relevant. There's an emphasis of on lust as well as sexual sins. Because the Lord says in the Sermon of the Mount, if you're committing adultery, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. In the wisdom sayings in Proverbs, wisdom is always portrayed as a woman versus in, in opposition, in contrast to the adulterers as well as the harlot. 
In other words, look out for the things of God, which is wisdom. Jesus, our Christ, He is our wisdom. Righteousness will bring you in the correct way. Wisdom will help you walk correctly. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom as opposed to going the way of the adulterers or the harlots. Let's ask again, what's your reference point? What is the world saying today? What's the church saying? Do you notice the increase of relationship issues, the problems that we are facing in our marriages as well as in our homes? And within the kingdom community, adultery is still happening. Divorces are going up. Now, we want to be sensitive and we want to be gracious, but have we begun in our bid to be tolerant and nice? Have we begun to accept and condone these sexual sins, sexual immorality, not just adultery and divorces, but sexual orientations as much as we want to embrace and we want to tell them there's hope in Jesus Christ? Are we closing our eyes to everything that is happening all around us? It's tripping and it's trapping so many people, not just the older ones, but even the next generation, the way that they think, the way that they challenge scriptures today. Are we allowing these stumbling stones in our own lives as well as not clearing these for the people around us? Oops. The Lord is so serious about this. And He says, will you look out for the personal oops? There are, will you also look out for the corporate oops, right? So let me just give you two quick points down here. Let's look at the personal responsibility here. Our personal responsibility um, for ourselves as well as to be careful not to trip others, right? We, we cannot claim ignorance, like I say. We cannot oops here and then someone trips and go oops and we say, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't see that. My inability to deal with sin in myself has the ability to trigger sin in others, thereby tripping and trapping them. Did you hear this? You see, my first responsibility is deal with myself. Because if I don't do that, that inability has that ability to trip and trap someone else. I stumble others without even realizing it. Oops! <laughs> I stumble others and then I rationalize and I justify myself. Oops again! And so to prevent stumbling others, I have to deal with myself. The same questions I have to ask. What am I looking at? Because if I look at something and someone sees me looking at something, it says, oh, that's fine. So that person continues and joins me in that looking at something. What am I doing? Where am I going? What's my entire life as well as my conduct? And you know it's not just the seeing and the doing and the going. Everything flows from the heart, and I've got to guard this heart of mine. I need a new heart. This heart has to be changed. This heart has to be led by the Holy Spirit. I need a personal alignment check first. But to do that, let me ask that question. What are my reference points? What's my own reference point, right? If, it's the, if my reference point is just myself, or I took the world to be the reference point, or I look at others who are also stumbling others, then we just keep stumbling each other and <laughs> we are not going to get any better. My reference point cannot be other stumbling stones. My reference point has to be the cornerstone because I don't want to be a stumbling stone. I want to be a living stone living in relation and in reference to Jesus, my cornerstone. 
So if I want to help others check alignment, I must check my own alignment first. Jesus says the same thing. Before you can even judge someone else, learn to judge yourself first. He didn't say don't judge. He says don't judge if you don't judge yourself first. Don't check another person's alignment if you don't check your own alignment first. Ask this question. Am I setting a good example for others to follow? Am I able to say like Paul, imitate me as I imitate the Christ? Friends, if we want to love others, we have to consider their interests above our own. But to do that, I've got to get my life right so that I can help them in the correct manner. So if I don't want to stumble others and I don't want to cause them to sin because I love them, then let me check that I'm not stumbling myself and I'm not stumbling others. That I don't cause others to compromise in their walk with Jesus. That is love. That is love in the community. I cannot just justify myself all the time looking out for my own interests of what's comfortable for me. I've got to do the uncomfortable thing first. Check my own alignment. Get right so that I'm that living stone that can help another living stone and not be a stumbling stone to stumble others. That's a personal oops point. But how about a corporate oops point? Because we're tripping one another. Let's be aware and let's acknowledge that my, my inability, your inability to deal with sin will now affect and infect the entire kingdom community. So don't just look at you are stumbling one person or two persons. It has the capacity and the ability to infect the whole community and that's dangerous. Every time we look at the picture of the eye, the hand or the foot and Jesus says to pluck it out or cut it off, we tend to apply it personally first. But as I was reading this, I realized this could be a picture of the body of Christ. Remember, Paul spoke to us and described the church like a body, right? Some of us would be the eye or the foot or the hand or something else. And the Lord might be just hinting to us and say, look, if the eye is causing you some trouble, remove this eye because you don't want to affect the entire body. If the hand is a problem, if the foot is a problem, just cut it off. If there's cancer that's happening, will you take it off before it spreads around the entire body? I know this sounds really serious, but let me remind you again, our Lord is very serious. He wants to protect the community. And to do that, you have to purge sin. You have to take away the person who is causing others to sin. Paul says it this way, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. We've done this teaching before. Get rid of that leaven. We are to live as people without sin, as Christ has given to us the ability to overcome sin. That's how we should live. But if we persist in that, if someone continues in the way of sin and it's causing others that problem, take it away. Remove it. Paul, the apostle, together with the others in the New Testament, write over and over again, don't associate with these people. Be living stones. Don't be stumbling stones. Take away those that are causing others to trip or to be trapped. Remember, we are a holy nation. 
We are a royal priesthood. That priesthood is holy unto the Lord. We are God's special people. We are righteous ones. We are set apart ones. We are the ecclesia, the called out ones, the sanctified ones, the saints. We are to be above reproach. And so this could be a picture of the body of Christ, this corporate oops. It's a corporate oops because today we are condoning and we are permitting and we are allowing. And I, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying do not be gracious, that we do not give second chances or third chances. I'm all for that. But if someone persists, what is the way to deal with this in the relationship? I believe the Lord is very, very serious. Take this person away. Do not associate with stumbling stones. Hang out with the right crowd. Hang out with kingdom hearts who are serious about kingdom things, who are serious about living right with the things of the kingdom, who are serious about keeping the ways of the kingdom because in Psalm 119 verse 165, it says that great peace have those who love your law and nothing causes them to stumble. See, what's your reference point? Is it the word of the king? Is it the law, the righteous law of the Lord? There's nothing wrong with the law. It's the way we interpret the law and the way we live it out that's the problem. So I challenge you, learn from those who walk according to the Spirit, according to the Spirit of the law that brings life, but not the letter of the law that kills. So there's a personal oops and there is a corporate oops. Let me bring this last point to you. It's not a new point. We covered it in our previous teaching. The whole idea of humility. Where does humility fit then? There's still a place of humility in this whole topic, this whole issue, as well as in the kingdom community. Because when we want to deal with our own stumbling stones that we do not stumble others, or we're looking at things that may stumble uh, other people, it is all too easy to become self-righteous, to be judgmental, and to be condemning. Remember I said we want to move by the spirit of the law and not the letter of the law. If you go by the letter of the law, you don't just remove and you're trying to remove these stumbling stones, you're actually picking up stones to stone others and thereby stumble others with the way you are legalistically moving to remove these stumbling stones. Oops again, right? And this is where the place of humility is important again. We have to look at humility, how it is to be lived out in this kingdom community. One big point about humility is this. I need Jesus. And you need Jesus. I'm not just talking about salvation, all right? I'm talking about being saved. I'm talking about we need Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And humility brings us into the kingdom, but we need humility to keep believing in Him and to walk the ways of the kingdom. Now, here's this big irony. Jesus Himself became a rock of offense and even a stone of stumbling. To the people of the kingdom, especially the religious leaders, they were stumbled by Jesus. They were stumbling others. But when Jesus comes and shows them the correct way, they were stumbled by Him. Now, stay with me. See, in order not to be a stumbling stone to others, I must first 
not be stumbled by the cornerstone, but I need to submit to Him. Now, what do I mean by this? Often I can take pride in myself, in my law, in my religion, and you know where I am in the place of institution. And the more I am proud about that, the more I am stumbled by the way of the cross. Because God will use the weak things, the low things, the humble things, to confound the wise, the, the, the big ones, the smart ones, right? And that's why the leaders were stumbled. The people of the Jews, they, the cross was a stumbling block. It stumbled them from believing the Messiah. I know as believers, we say, oh, no, 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 you know, I'm not stumbled. I believe in the cross. Uh, I, I thank you for Jesus. But we can come in that way of humility and become very proud after that and become legalistic all over again. We need humility all over, that we can say, Lord, I need Jesus. I will not be stumbled or offended by faith and by grace because this is the only way I will have the righteousness with me that I attain it by simply believing and receiving. And because this righteousness is not something that I have by myself, I have to remain humble. I have to admit by humility, I can't deal with my own sin by my own strength. I must remember in humility that this old me has died and Jesus has defeated the power of sin. It is the new me in Christ that has dominion over sin. I cannot be proud of myself. I can only boast in Jesus Christ and that requires humility. Friends, you want to get rid of this, this personal and corporate oops? We need humility. I cannot rely on myself anymore. I have to rely on the Holy Spirit. And I need humility. I need to be that little child all over again, even as I want to mature in the things of God, to be a grown-up son and a daughter of God. I must remain humble and vulnerable and reliant on the Holy Spirit over and over again. So first point about humility, dealing with scandals, stumbling stones, sin, offenses. I need Jesus over and over again. I need the cross applied to me over and over again. But is it just me and Jesus alone? What starts there? The second big point is this. I need others. I need the body of Christ. We need one another. We need to look out for one another, to help each other look out for these stumbling stones that we can point these out, that we can remove these for each other. And to do that, I can't do this by myself. I need you and you need me. We need serious people in the kingdom community. And it requires humility to acknowledge that. And you notice, right? Pride will look down on others but humility will look out for others. Did you hear that? See, pride will look down on others thinking, I'm okay, I'm better than you, I don't need you, I don't have you, I don't need you to point things out to me. But humility says, I can't do this. I need you, bro. I need you, sister. Let's look out for one another. Pride looks down on others, but humility looks out for others. Can we all admit that we're all one step away only from sinning and one step away only from causing someone else to sin? I'm not here to judge others critically with pride because we have to evaluate one another and only with humility can we do that in the correct manner. 
with humility, I want to be able to confess to others so that I want to be real. I want to be authentic. I don't want false humility. Uh, yeah, yeah, sorry, no, oops. That's A lot of us have false humility and we don't want to deal with the sin that's in our life. Humility is required for repentance and to journey with each other that we can confess our sins to one another. Humility is needed to receive correction and alignment because if you point things out to me, I must be humble enough to accept that. Humility is required. Humility is needed to learn from others, from their breakthroughs and their victories over sin. Pride will try to sweep it under the carpet to think I can do it by myself. Humility will say, how did you do it? How do you get over that? I want to learn from you. And I want to be able also to overcome that and be a good example to someone else. You see, there's no competition. There's no comparison. Humility will allow us to have mutual encouragement. Let's bring this to a close. I asked in the beginning, have you ever been affected or offended by another Christian before? But don't forget the next question. Have you ever affected or offended another Christian before? I believe the answer to both questions would be yes. But I pray that you have been encouraged by this little teaching. A serious one, heavy stuff, millstones, everlasting fire, hellfire. The Lord is very, very serious. And we cannot justify and rationalize it away. We cannot feign ignorance and go, oops, you know, I'm sorry, you know, the Lord understands uh, His grace. We throw these things in. The Lord is serious about kingdom relationships in the kingdom community. So let's be careful not to be stumbling stones or stumbling blocks, trips or traps for others in the body of Christ. Let's help one another also look out for these stumbling things so that we can walk correctly to bring Jesus glory and also in harmony and humility with one another. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the words of our King, for the people of the kingdom. And Lord, we ask your forgiveness first, Lord, for the times where we have just swept things under the carpet, where we have rationalized and justified things to say, it's okay, um, we, it's under the blood, uh, righteousness is ours already, we don't have to bother about all that anymore. Lord, you are serious because you desire for us to walk in the correct manner. You've given us also the power over sin that we will not sin in this way anymore. So Lord, let us take this seriously because you took us seriously by dying upon the cross for us to give us new life. And so I pray for my brothers and my sisters that truly from today forth, we will no longer be stumbling stones, but we will be living stones, living for the glory of you, our cornerstone. And so we bless you and thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.